0: Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 15, verse 30, through chapter 16, verse 5. In our last teaching, we learned about the meeting of the Jerusalem Council in Jerusalem and a letter that had been written, a letter of instruction and encouragement to the churches. This letter was designed to counteract an erroneous teaching that had been spreading through through the Church. The Apostles wanted to make it very clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ was a gospel based on faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not by works of any kind. It is a salvation by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. However, there were certain things that the council asked the church body to abstain from, that that they would abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. By observing these four things, it would help them in their Christian life, and it would also help to maintain the unity of the body between Jew and Gentile. Now it was time for the letter to be hand-delivered to the churches by chosen representatives. So let's read about that now. Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 30. The Word of God reads this way. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, They rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Four men were selected to deliver the letter to the church in Antioch, Judas, not Iscariot, and Silas, Paul, and Barnabas. These four men were highly respected as key leaders in the church, with Judas and Silas being described as prophets. They traveled to Antioch, And as the Bible records, they continued to minister to the church there, exhorting and strengthening the brethren. It was vitally important that this letter be submitted first at Antioch, as it was in Antioch that this dispute on the doctrine of salvation first broke out and caused division among the body. I like the way one commentator addresses what happened here. He writes, The decision by the Jerusalem Council had great potential for trouble. How believers responded to this decision would demonstrate to the world the real character of the Church. Defiance would likely cause a split and give malcontents the courage to push their agendas. Submission by everyone would result in a close-knit, harmonious body that had a sense of order and stability. The end result of the potential crises was great joy. It's easy to see why. First, a wise and careful approach to conflict resolution had been followed. Second, the leaders had ruled only after lengthy discussion and leading by the Spirit. Third, the members of the Church had submitted to their God-appointed leadership. Churches today would be much happier and more peaceful if they followed these principles when handling conflict. However, after a lengthy stay, it was time for Judas and Silas to return back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they continued to minister, to preach, to teach the word of God. Strengthening their faith and training and equipping many for leadership roles in the body. I'm reminded of the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples and also to each generation of believers since. His command is this Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I, I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this commission, there are two types of ministry. There is the work of evangelism, the work of leading people to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also the teaching ministry, making disciples so that they will grow in their faith, becoming mature and leaders within the church body. Listen to the way Paul described this ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, In this passage, it is clear that each one is given a gift to serve God and to serve one another. Other passages also mention lists of spiritual gifts, which are, uh, some are spiritual gifts, or service gifts, such as mercy and helps and faith and giving and so on. You'll find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11, through and Romans 12, verses 3-8, through just to name a couple. So what this passage in Ephesians is describing are the speaking gifts, and they are exercised to equip the members of the body of Christ for the work of ministry and also for building up the body of Christ in their faith. The plan of God never had in mind that only one person would care for the needs of all, but rather we are each one vital to the ongoing ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, each one working together for the common goal of evangelism and discipleship so that the glorious message of the love of God would spread throughout the world from generation to generation until the day of Christ's return. Well, after an extended stay in Antioch, Paul decided that he wanted to visit the churches that had been started during his first missionary journey. So we pick up the story with verse 36 of chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." I like the observation that Warren Weirsby makes at this point. He writes, For the Apostle Paul, the church at Antioch was not a parking lot. It was a launching pad. He would never settle down to a comfortable ministry anywhere as long as there were open doors for the preaching of the gospel. And that pretty much sums up Paul's ministry life. So when Paul and Barnabas began to uh, discuss their plans for visiting the churches, that had been newly established, they suddenly found themselves in sharp disagreement. Barnabas wanted his cousin John Mark to join them on this second missionary journey. However, Paul was adamant that Mark would not join them. The reason for this stand is understandable, I think. Chapter 13 records that in the early months of their last missionary journey, that first journey that they took, Mark left them in went back to Jerusalem while Paul and Barnabas pressed on, although the opposition and persecution grew with each city they entered. The fact that Mark left them at a time when they needed to stick together in solidarity greatly impacted Paul. And at this time, he was not willing to give Mark an opportunity to abandon them again. Barnabas, on the other hand, was known as the son of encouragement among the disciples the church and for good reason and he was willing to give John a second chance being a close relative of Mark Barnabas must have spent much time talking with Mark during the many months that they had remained in Antioch one commentator adds this who was right it really doesn't make much difference Perhaps both men were right on some things and wrong on other things. We know that John Mark ultimately did succeed in the ministry and that Paul came to love and appreciate him. We can read about that in Colossians 4.10, 2 Timothy 4.11, and the book of Philemon, verses 23 and 24. Good and godly people in the church do disagree. This is one of the painful facts of life that we must accept. Paul looked at people and asked, What can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, What can God's work do for them? Both questions are important to the Lord's work. And sometimes, it is difficult to keep things balanced. On this occasion, The disagreement between these two faithful servants of the Lord became so great that they decided to part company. So Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they traveled to the island of Cyprus, where they had a successful ministry throughout the region. During this time, Barnabas had the wonderful opportunity to mentor John Mark and train him in leadership. And I'm sure also in how to patiently endure the suffering that came with it. We know that Barnabas' ministry to John Mark made a difference because later on Paul would say this regarding John Mark when writing to the church in Colossae while Paul was in prison. Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Then at the end of his life, when He knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close. Paul wrote this to his spiritual son, Timothy. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. On the surface, this division seems to be tragic. However, there is a spiritual principle at play here. And it is found in Romans 8, 28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Had Paul and Barnabas remained as a team, they would have revisited the churches and returned back to Antioch just like before. However, by splitting up, God used this as an opportunity for two areas of ministry— Barnabas and Mark traveled west, and Paul and Silas traveled northeast. Now more people than ever before had the opportunity to hear the gospel message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God had turned this painful event into good for the kingdom of God and for his glory. The Bible tells us that Paul and Silas traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia and everywhere they went, they strengthened the faith of these new believers. And the church continued to grow, having a great impact within the Roman Empire. Well, beginning with chapter 16, we learn more about Paul's second missionary journey. So now let's just go ahead and read the first five verses of chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Dr. John Stock gives us some background into what we are looking at here. He writes, Lystra and Derby were the last Galatian towns to have been visited on the first missionary journey. So now as Paul approached them from the east, Derby and Lystra were, of course, the first to be revisited. The most notable event took place in Lystra. Here lived Timothy, a disciple, and his mother Eunice, who was a Jewess, but had become a believer. Presumably, both mother and son had been converted during Paul's previous visit about five years previously. Timothy's father was a Greek, a Gentile. It was because Timothy's father was a Greek that Paul had Timothy circumcised. This was because it was always Paul's habit to visit the synagogue in any city they came to, bringing to them first the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Having Timothy circumcised helped to open the door of opportunity for that sharing. Timothy became a spiritual son to Paul, and he served the Lord along with Paul during the remainder of Paul's ministry. As Wiersbe explains, in the years that followed, Timothy played an important part in the expansion and strengthening of the church. He traveled with Paul and was often his special ambassador to the troubled spots in the work, such as Corinth. He became shepherd of the church in Ephesus and probably joined Paul in Rome shortly before the apostle was martyred. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy in that last letter he would write to him shortly before he was martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you, in you as well. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I think that this is a message for you and me today, just as much as it was for Timothy then. We need to be bold not ashamed of the testimony of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be sound in our faith, sound in our knowledge of the scriptures, sound in our love for God, and love for one another. And sound in love and grace for those whom God loves so much that he was willing to send his son to die for their sins. And his love was so rich that Jesus himself cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them. We must follow his example in word and in deed, in grace and in mercy, in love and in truth. So Paul and Silas and Timothy began their journey throughout the region. Remember, they are taking with them the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings from the scriptures. But they are also bringing with them the letter from the Jerusalem Council to encourage and strengthen their faith and to equip them to carry on with the work of the church. And as we journey with them in the next several lessons, We'll have much to learn about ministry, the teaching of the scriptures, and the power of God which brings salvation and perseverance in the midst of growing persecution. But for today, let me leave you with this word from the book of Jude, beginning with verse 3. Beloved. Deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in these, the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forevermore. Amen. Yes, Lord, we exalt you. And we come before you, O God, with humble hearts, and we ask, O God, that you would make us your holy people, your servants, your witnesses, your hands and your feet, To those in this world, to those in the church, to every person we come into contact with, may we always be reminded that we are your servants, your ambassadors to these people. Place in our hearts your love and your truth, your wisdom, and your grace. We pray, O God, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and exalted on high and proclaimed, for he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com That's BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. And until next time, my dear friend, continue in prayer, continue in the word of God, continue fellowshipping with one another, loving each other deeply from the heart. Be blessed, my friend, with the joy of the Lord, which is your strength.